Today is the last sermon in our series of lessons about the abundant life. It was Jesus who said that He'd come to that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. We have looked at the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. And if God lives in us, we will become the people and the person that has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our lives. As we've heard read for us this morning, Peter tells us that if we will add to our faith virtue, knowledge, and temperance, and patience, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love, that those qualities will help us participate in God's divine nature. And that those character traits will make our calling and election sure. And that when we have those in our lives, we will have a knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and will have an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The question that I have this morning is, what have we done with those lessons that we've heard? Some I may not have appreciated them at all. I've heard a lot of good comments from people, but I'm sure that there are some who hated them, may have cared less about them. But my hope is that we have allowed God to work in our lives and to bring about that good life, that abundant life that He has promised. For those of us who are Christians, we need to understand that God is our power, that He has given us His Spirit that will help us in this life. That Spirit comes through the written Word of God. But we must stay attached to that power source if we're going to be faithful and succeed in living this Christian life. When we disconnect ourselves from that power source, God, it's like being adrift in the water, in a boat with no power, unable to go where you would like to go. You might remember years ago that there was a, a Carnival cruise liner that lost its power. They had a fire in the engine room and it lost power. When they had no power, that meant there was no electricity. They had no refrigeration. They had no air conditioning. Food spoiled. And people were very uncomfortable. People moved up to the upper deck because they couldn't stand it below the decks because it was too hot and unbearable because the toilets did not work. There was almost 5,000 people on that boat. That boat was stuck out in the Gulf of Mexico with no power. It was at the mercy of the currents and the wind. It stayed that way for four days before two tugboats hauled it in or, tug, or pulled it into the port. Brethren, that should remind us of what can and what does happen when anything or anyone is disconnected from a source of power. As I mentioned, as Christians, God is our power. He makes it possible that we can have that fruit of the Spirit in our lives. He makes it possible that we can add those Christian graces to our lives. You see, there's no way that we could add or sustain those nine character traits in our life without God's help 
without God's power from above. We don't live the Christian life on our own power, but by His power at work within us. I want us to listen to a couple, a few passages of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus and great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. It is God that works in us that makes these things possible. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Again, there's that word power. That power that's working in us. What is that power? Is God working in us if we will allow Him to do so? It's that Spirit that He's given us through the written Word that helps us to change our lives, that gives us the power to make those changes. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, "...being confident in this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ." Again, we need to remind ourselves that we are free moral agents and God will not force us to do something that we do not want to do. But God will help us if we are trying to the best of our ability to serve Him and to do what pleases Him. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, "...according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness <clears throat> through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue." Again, there we see that word, that divine power. God will help you and I as Christians if we will allow Him to do so. You see, the fruit of God living in us doesn't mature in one day. It takes years of studying and working at living that Christian life that helps us to develop into what God wants us to be. And as a result of our determination to serve God... God lives in us. But He expects us, when we become a Christian, to grow. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18, it says, "...but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever." So as a Christian, when, we come into this, when we're born again into the body of Christ, we're not a mature Christian. Sure, some of us have grown up in the church and maybe we were baptized when we were 16, 17, maybe 20, whatever it may be. But we grew up and we learned a great deal about the church and what God expected out of us. And so we had a great deal of knowledge before we became a Christian. But there are people that have obeyed the Gospel that really had no knowledge of the New Testament. They didn't grow up learning what the Bible taught. They may not have had Christian parents that cared about their soul. And so everyone's not at the same level. And so God expects us to grow and to mature. And do we ever stop growing and maturing? No. God expects us to continue to grow even when we've been in the church for a long period of time. You see, when we come into this world, we don't come into this world fully grown. We don't come into this world full of knowledge. It takes time. It takes a process of learning and learning from experiences and listening to other people in their experiences 
and gaining the knowledge that we can gain as we grow and mature as human beings. But Scripture teaches us that God takes up residency in our life the moment that we are born again. But it's not at that moment that we become a fully mature Christian. It takes time for His fruit to germinate and to ripen in our lives. And in the process, we fail quite often. Sanctification, being separated from the world, being set apart, becoming holy as He is holy, takes time as we work out our own salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul tells us, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so there are times that someone may teach us a plant a seed in our heart, but someone else comes along and helps by watering, by teaching us a little more or helping us to understand what has been taught. But remember, it's always God that gives the increase. And you can look at that just like planting a garden. You may go out and you may put the seed in the ground yourself, but someone else may come along and pour water on that seed that helps it to germinate and to grow. Someone else may come along and cultivate the ground and make sure that that, that, that plant continues to grow. And that's the way it is with a Christian. We obey the Gospel. Someone has taught us. But sometimes there's more to being taught than others teach us other things and helps us to develop and to grow and mature as we should as a Christian. So this morning... I want us to realize what we must do to stay connected to the power source. To stay connected to God. And the first thing that I want us to look at is that we must desire God's presence in our lives. It's easy to talk about being a Christian, but sometimes we really don't want God in our presence. And as a Christian, if we want to stay connected to that power source, we have to have that desire that God's presence be in our life. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But as many as receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. <clears throat> when we obey the Gospel, it's because we've made a conscious decision ourselves. God will not force Himself on us, but those that receive Him have this promise that we see here in this passage of Scripture. I have to accept Him. I have to come on His conditions. And it's not just a mere invite Him into my heart. It's the actions that I have in my life that shows and demonstrates that there's been a change in my life from that worldliness that I may have lived to now living that Christian life, that desire to do what is right. And I want Him in my life. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus tells us, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in Me, listen to this, and I in Him, the same bringeth forth what? Much fruit. For without Me ye can do nothing. So Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. And guess what? We have to abide in that vine. We have to stay attached to that vine in order to produce. And that's something that we all can understand. You go out and you cut a limb off of a tree. You cut a limb off of a grapevine. Guess what? It's not going to produce because it's dead. It has to stay attached to the root system. 
We have to stay attached to Christ. We have to stay attached to God. If we want to be productive and produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus tells us that the good life, the abundant life, comes as a result of hungering and thirsting for God and His righteousness. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Brethren, God is in us if we invite Him into our lives. If we will accept Him, if we will receive Him, as the Scripture says, if we want Him into our lives, He'll come into our lives. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Very important passage of Scripture there because it tells us that when we obey the Gospel that there's, some, there's a change in our life. Change in our possession. We're not, we don't belong to the devil. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Our body belongs to God and He wants to be in our body. He wants to be a part of us. He wants to house, be housed in our minds and in our hearts. But He won't come in there without being invited. He's not going to force Himself in. First John chapter four and verse twelve: No man that seeth God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. And then in verse thirteen, He goes on to tell us how: Hereby know we that know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us His Spirit. That fruit of the Spirit is produced when God and I are walking together. When you and God are walking together. Do we really want God living in us? Really? Do we want Him to produce His fruit? Do we want God going where we go? Doing what we do? Saying the things that we say? Do we really want Him in our lives? Or are we looking for someone else to live in us producing the fruit of the world? Materialism, popularity, prestige. Brethren, God wants to direct our lives. But as I have said, He will not override our free will. God does not seize control of our hearts and minds. We follow Him because it's a choice that we make. God provides the power, but we hold the steering wheel. My life and your life are still under our own control and no one else's. God will not force us to be a follower of His. We become who and what we will to become. Nothing more, nothing less. Let me say that again. We become who and what we will to become. Nothing more, nothing less. As we think in our heart, so are we. Think about it. You hear people say, parents sometimes are not very good parents tell their child that they're a loser. You're not ever going to accomplish anything. You're no good. 
Is that true? Are they a loser? Are they not going to accomplish anything? Are they no good? What is it? None of that's true until that individual starts to believe it. When that individual begins to believe that, yeah, I am a loser. Yeah, I'm not going to accomplish anything. Then that's when you're doomed. Someone says that. God says that we can be what we want to be. And God will help us to be the Christian that He wants us to be. But we have to believe that. It's our choice. The good life will not happen. It cannot happen unless we desire it above all else. What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, the abundant life, will be given unto you. Have you invited Jesus? Have you invited God into your life? I'm not talking about those that are outside of the body of Christ. I'm talking about us as Christians. You say, well, He's got to be in my life. Well, I want you to remember the, the events that took place in Revelation chapter 3 with the church at Laodicea. What did Jesus say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on the hearts of Christians. He's wanting to come into their heart because they obviously had kicked Him out of their heart. They did not allow Him in. And so He's knocking on the door wanting to come into their life, into their hearts, so that they could be what God wanted them to be, so that they could be what Jesus wanted them to be. So it's not some far-fetched idea that we would close Him out of our hearts. Just because we're a Christian, we can still push Him out of our life. And that's exactly what the church at Laodicea did. So Jesus is standing at the door. They had to open the door and invite Him in. You notice He didn't just kick the door in and go. He stood at the door and He knocked. They had to open the door and let Him in. Secondly, we must confess and renounce our sinful ways. Scripture tells us that we are to be holy because God is holy. And if God is holy, and He is, if He lives in us, and He does, then, he will, then we will be holy ourselves. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Ye also are lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him that hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What do we learn from those two passages of Scripture? One, that we are living stones, that we are a spiritual house, that we are a holy priesthood, that we are a peculiar people, that we are a holy nation. Think about it. God will not and cannot live in a contaminated environment. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be righteous. He cannot live in a life in a life that's full of sin. And he, we do not want to grieve the Spirit of God by providing a contaminated temple for Him to dwell in. Remember what the Scripture said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that our body is the temple of God. 
We need to realize that sin contaminates us. And God cannot dwell where sin resides. You see, God cannot live and produce His fruit in a worldly, evil, lustful, fleshly, sinful environment. We must acknowledge and renounce our sin. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's telling us as Christians that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That should have no appeal to us, but the devil makes sure that there is an appeal to us. But remember, when we're drawn away, we're drawn away into the world, into sin by our own lusts, our own desires. God doesn't make us do it, and even the devil doesn't make us do it. It's our choice. God tells us to deny worldly lust and ungodliness and that we are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It was John who wrote in 1 John 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, brethren, when we sin, we take care of that sin. That as Christians, we take care of that sin by confessing that sin to God and asking His forgiveness. And He will forgive us. And He will cleanse that environment once again with the blood of Christ. Galatians chapter 5. You might want to turn your Bible over there. But in Galatians chapter 5, there's a contrast between the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, beginning of verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. And of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You look at that list. I ask you, when you look at that list on the screen, does anything on that list bring peace, comfort, happiness, joy? Does any of that bring us, cause that? Oh, you might get some happiness for a moment when you involve yourself with sin. But when you think about adultery and fornication, when someone that you're committing fornication or adultery with and others find out about it, it's not so pleasant. And it's the conscience that you have to live with for the rest of your life. When you've done something that you know you shouldn't. When you look at hatred and envyings and those things of that nature. That doesn't cause peace in our life. None of those things cause comfort and peace in our life. None of those bring that abundant life. They all cause chaos, misery, and disappointment and trouble in our lives. You think about that. Now compare that with the works of the, of the, the fruit of the Spirit. You look at that. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of those things. Do those cause chaos? Do those cause problems in our lives? Does that cause drama? No. That's where comfort's at. That's where joy's at. That's where the peace that passeth all understanding is right there. This side, 
Maybe you've been involved with some of those things. Guess what? You realize that it didn't bring peace to your life. God's work, God works in a life that's given to Him. When we live for the world, we're going to have <clears throat> troubles. We're going to have chaos. We're going to have disappointments. God works in a life that's given to Him. Third, we need to become a people of the Word. <clears throat> By that I mean we need to understand the Scripture. We need to study the Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, <clears throat> it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. The workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As Christians, we're supposed to study God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 15, it says, That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's Word tells us what we need to know. God's Word informs us of how to live our lives. You want to know about love? Turn to 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter. And there you will find that love is patient, is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, <clears throat> is not easily angered, keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. And it always protects, it always trusts, and it always hopes, and always perseveres. And love never fails. You want to know about love? Don't get some manual out. Don't listen to someone at school or someone at work. Look at what God's Word tells us about love. You want to know about integrity? Then read about Noah. Read about Abraham, Joshua. Read about Joseph and Esther, Hannah, Stephen, Paul, or David. My friend, listen. If we want the abundant life, we must, like David, allow the Word to be a lamp to our feet, a light to our feet, and a lamp to our pathway. <clears throat> That's found in Psalms chapter 119 and verse 105. <clears throat> so here's something else. We need to study God's Word daily. We need to commit ourselves to opening the pages of God's Word on a daily basis. This morning as you leave, you'll find if you go out that door, if you go out this door, you won't find anything. But if you go out that door, you'll find one of these cards. I printed it up. It's like the New Testament. And it's got all the chapters. i got it on the screen somewhere. looks like that. <clears throat> but you can read a chapter and you can check it off. I'm not asking you to commit to reading a chapter every day. I'm not asking you to read a book of the New Testament every month. I'm asking you to read some of the New Testament every day. And if you start off in chapter 1 and you read two verses, that's fine. But then when you make it to the end of that chapter, you just exit off. And our goal will be to, to study God's Word every day. To read God's Word every day. Maybe start off the day in the morning before you go to work or before you go to school or do whatever you're going to do. 
read God's Word for just a few moments every day and mark it off. There's also a different chart on the table in the back. Up at this door, there's not any chart, but at that table in the back, there's another chart that has part of the Old Testament in it too. It goes all the way through Joshua. You fold it in half. Put it so you can have your name on it. You can hang it on your refrigerator. You can put it in your Bible. You can hang it on your mirror. You can tape it to your forehead. You can do whatever you want to do. You can, but my, I'm trying to encourage us all to start reading our Bibles every day. Now, I know there's always some that's just going to say, well, the preacher asked. I'm not going to do it. I'm not asking you to do it for me. In fact, I don't even want to see this card after you take it. I don't want to see it again. You can show it to me if you want, but I don't want to see it. This is between you and your study. I'm just offering this to try to help. And you can make it through the New Testament in a short period of time. But the goal is to read and to understand what He's trying to tell us in His Word. So will we commit to spending time in the Scriptures every day for the rest of the year? I hope so. Because we need to be a people of the Word. If we want God in our lives, if we want our, the Spirit in our lives, then we need to have the Word because that's the only way it can dwell in us. It's through the written Word of God. Number four, we must let go of our worldly ambitions. <clears throat> in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the afflictions and lusts. For affections and lust. If we're Christ, we've crucified the flesh. We must choose. We must decide ourselves. Are we going to live a life patterned after Jesus? Or a life patterned after the world? Are we going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Or are we going to pursue the ambitions and pleasures that the world has to offer? <clears throat> are we going to lay up treasures in heaven? Or are we going to lay up treasures here on earth? Will we be conformed to the world's way of thinking or transformed into the image of our Lord and Savior? <clears throat> Paul tells us to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Who will rule and reign in your life, our life, Jesus or the world? It was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, you can't have it both ways. Far too many of us try to live with one foot in the world and the other foot in, 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 in God's kingdom, doing what God wants us to do. And a lot of times we're just miserable because we haven't given ourselves to God. We need to choose. And we need to choose today whom we will serve <clears throat> because we cannot serve two masters. Will we be led by the Spirit or led by the flesh? I don't know about you, but I want to be led by the Spirit. Because listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. For as many 
as are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. You want to belong to God? Then you need to be led by the Spirit of God. How's He going to lead us? Through the written Word. Coach Tom Landry, I mentioned him last Sunday, <clears throat> where he said that the job of a football coach was to make men do what they don't want to do in order to become what they want to be. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. It takes effort to be what God wants us to be. And finally, we must be perseverant. That means we are to keep on keeping on. We keep on keeping on no matter what somebody said. We keep on keeping on no matter what someone's done to us. We keep on keeping on no matter how we feel. We keep on keeping on. We, keep, we never, ever give up. You see, no matter how hard we try to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our daily walk, we're going to come up short. We're going to fail at times. And here it is that we can provide the desire to live a godly life, but God supplies the power to do it. And that's what we need to understand. We can do what we have the desire, but God is the one that's going to help us to accomplish it. And God also forgives us when we fall short. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Wherefore, my beloved, <clears throat> as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, <clears throat> but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. We're not alone in this struggle. God cares about us and He wants us to get to heaven. He wants us to live a faithful life while we're here and He will help us do that if we will allow Him to do so. The story is told, supposedly it's true, I don't know if it is or not, about the life of, the, of Poland's famous concert pianist, Ignis Padreski. Her mother had taken her child to listen to one of his performance. She just started teaching her child piano lessons. And she thought that it would be very encouraging for her child to see this great pianist perform. Well, before the program began, they were sitting up toward the front. And the mother became engaged in a conversation with the people that were around her and did not notice that her son had slipped away. <clears throat> and it became time for the concert to begin at 8 o'clock. Lights went up. The curtain went up. And guess who was sitting at the piano? Her little boy. And on that piano he was playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with One Finger. The great pianist came out and he said, Don't quit. Keep playing. And with one hand he reached around and he started playing on that end of the piano. And with his other hand he started playing and they had a masterpiece. crowd went crazy. 
What I want us to realize is that God is telling us, don't quit. Keep playing. Don't give up. I've given you a comforter to help you. I'm walking with you and encouraging you. I am that power source. I'm empowering you with whatever is needed to turn your life into a masterpiece. Like the Apostle Paul, God is telling us that my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. Keep on striving to be what God wants us to be. And with God's help, we will be successful. You will be successful. Hear Him say, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, everything that we need for living that abundant life, He will supply. Trust Him. Have faith in Him. Have faith in yourself that yes, you can do it. Remember what I said earlier? Sometimes when someone tells us you can't do it, then we can't do it. We believe it. But God says we can because He will help us. So believe Him. And if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one. Start that walk with Him by faith, repentance, confessing His name, and being born of that new birth, baptized into Christ. And as a child of God, we may commit, may we commit ourselves to letting the world see Jesus living in us, to letting our light shine as we go through this world, that the fruit of the Spirit will be produced in our life, that we turn away from those works of the flesh and we strive to be what God wants us to be. So this morning, if you need to respond, we invite you to come and have a seat up here on the front row. Have that opportunity as we stand and sing.